The comments within the following podcast are those of any show hosts and not representative of any company in which the show hosts may represent. To podcast number 339. It is Tuesday, February 18th, 2020. Michael in Tennessee is along and he is a Livewire user. He can be found at Box 3069 on Livewire and he wanted to come on and talk about the T Mobile Sprint merger. I asked him about how long he's been on on the podcast in the listening department, and I gauge him for other uh, topics that he wanted to talk about before going. But the main topic is T-Mobile and Sprint and their merger. I cover some blog news and updates that have come out. Of course, there are plenty more, and I'm sure there will be a lot more. Phishing insights and social media scams will be the main topic of today's program. Fish Labs had this webinar, and this would be a great time for this because it's a new year. We have a lot going on. And definitely, this one fits the landscape that we are currently in. Finally, final thoughts and contact information, including a discussion on how I've been able to build Assignment 18 in regards to poetry, lists, and outlines. We also, in this lesson have a lot more and I'll discuss it in a future podcast thank you so much for listening email imessage tech at menvi.org that's t-e-c-h at m-e-n-v-i dot o-r-g text or whatsapp 804-442-6975 and find other social media contact information on my website at j-a-r-e-d r-i-m-e-r dot net now here's me and Michael from Tennessee, T-Mobile, and the Sprint merger. Folks, sorry about the Twitter uh, app. I noticed it while we were recording, and there's nothing I can do about it now. It's infrequent enough that I feel the segment is still worth the time. However, it's just something I need to double check and I thought I did that. So, sorry about that. I already know of the issue and there's nothing I can do at this point. Now, here's the segment on the T-Mobile merger that we are going to discuss as part of this first segment of the Technology Blog and Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Today on the Tech Podcast, I'd like to introduce a guest who actually has gotten into a little bit of the security field with me, but yet in a different sort of light because he does coverage of other stuff. A Livewire user I found a long time ago, uh, within the last few years, and somebody who I actually enjoy talking to. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up for Michael in Tennessee. Michael, welcome to the Technology Blog and Podcast. Well, thank you. I uh, I enjoy uh, listening to you podcast, and I've learned a lot from you. Well, thank you. Uh, hopefully, I uh, I've learned some from you, so that is great that uh, we can learn from each other. 
Uh, you actually wanted to come on the podcast for quite a while, and uh, we haven't really been able to get a good time. Um, and so you decided you want to go on live. What seems to want to bring you on today? I understand it's a uh, phone topic. We don't do a lot of phones because uh, I just don't get yeah. that type of coverage. Yeah, um, I've been following something for quite some time um, concerning uh, uh, T-Mobile um, and Sprint. Uh, they were the hold on it uh, for a while. Of course, they have uh, T-Mobile has bought um, Sprint, and uh, so um, they say the benefits of it is going to be benefits, um, as well as some. Um, new capacity, um, which basically means that there'll be more people that would be able to be on a single tower um, at a time. I don't know how how, how much that di- differs now, um, but but anyway, um, and uh, it's just supposed to make. Uh, and there's going to be faster speed. Now, the next part of this, um, uh, the, the T-Mobile has said that they have released um, 5G. Um, I, I'm, I, it's too early for that, in my opinion. I, I really don't buy that claim because it's it. It's a new technology, and but uh, I I don't know I don't really know much about the 5G technology, um, but that's um, the two things that uh, that I wanted to talk about, and and it's 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 too early to tell yet. Uh, how long it would be before T-Mobile will um, um, uh, at some point they will close the uh, old Sprint CDMA network um, and because when they of course if you don't know um, by now um, Metro PCS was bought by T-Mobile a while ago, and Metro PCS was also a CDMA carrier. And so they, within 12 months or so after they, you know, uh, T-Mobile got Metro, they uh, um, shut down Metro PCS's um, CDMA stuff. Um, and so I'm a... I'm assuming that uh, they most likely would do the same thing. It may, it may not be as quick, so um, as what the Metro PCS was, but um, but uh, and so um, you. Uh, so I hope this little segment is of assistance to some that may not be able. To for whatever reason, to follow this stuff, you may not understand it, um, and and I, uh, like Jared said, I do follow security too, and there's so much security news it's hard to keep up with. Ain't it, Jared? Yes, it is. Uh, now, you said uh, one company in particular, and I had the thought of. Aren't I still hearing ads of that company? It's now escaping my mind, but I thought I was still hearing ads and of for services from them. Um, are we not? Are you referring to um, um, Metro PCS? 
That and yeah, that one, and then there was the other one you mentioned. Uh, not uh, not Sprint, but or I mean T-Mobile, but there was another network you were just mentioning. Oh, uh, OCDMA. No, no, um, a company. Oh, company. Yeah. Uh, T-Mobile Sprint. I know Metro's still know. being advertised, but there was another one you mentioned. Yeah, that's called that's actually called Metro by T-Mobile now. Um, oh, okay. Then maybe and, it is Metro uh, PCS. Okay. And uh, now, from what from what I I don't completely understand how this is going to work. But supposedly, part of the deal is that. This network uh, gets to get the uh, um, they get to uh, have Boots Mobile. Boots Mobile may be the one you were thinking of, uh, Jared. Um, that that's a possibility. Uh huh. Because see, um, Boots Mobile is a sprint um, of spring. Um and uh there's also cricket. I didn't mention cricket, but that's a AT&T company. Um so and uh so I uh that's uh you got any questions there, Jen? Because I think that's all I have. Uh, no, I, I don't. I don't believe so. Uh, I know a lot of this may affect those listeners in the United States. Those outside may not be necessarily interested. But we want to cover everything here on the Tech Podcast, especially uh, phones. I don't get a whole lot of coverage, so it's nice to have somebody that can come on and and give us this info. Now, Michael, how long have you been listening to us here? at the technology blog and podcast. I I have been listening uh off and on for like five, six years, but uh I have consistently been listening um for the last three years or so. And what's given and given you uh, of interest of what we've been covering? I wanna I wanna hear what you have what, what uh type of things that have been uh that, that you have uh, found a value. You don't have to go into a lot of details. All the, now, but. All the, all the breaches that I've been hearing about, uh, I get, I uh, I hear about all of, uh, most of them uh, from other places. But you have your own points on the, the way you report them, and and I like you based on it, and it's. Uh, you do uh, such a uh, um, wonderful job at that. Well, thank you very much. I know this recording, I forgot to turn off my Twitter sounds uh, for the recording, so sorry about that. My client's open and I forgot to mute those sounds, but that's just the way this recording is going to go. Most of them aren't this way, so uh, it's, it doesn't hinder much. Uh, what else do you but, uh, have in mind for this segment before we cut you loose, Michael? Well, um, and of course, I'll keep you all up to date on this whole um, T-Mobile Sprint thing. I follow it uh, um, pretty close. Um, I'm a phone nut, so this is something that uh, really is of interest to me. Um, and so, um, and no, I, I think that's about it. All right. What contact information would you like to give? I know you're on Livewire, uh, and the podcast is posted here on Livewire at board 974. Um, if people are listening to this segment when it becomes available there, how can they contact you or 
any offline method if you wish. Um, you can always reach me at uh, box 3069 on Uh, uh You can uh, also um, call me, I mean text me to call whichever one you prefer. Um, at uh, eight six five two three four two nine eight zero. Awesome. Uh, I hope that you. Uh, I hope to hear from you on uh, on another edition. We thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast today. Yeah, I, I would definitely be back uh, soon. And thank you for everything you do. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael in Tennessee, for coming on our program today. We really appreciate the time you took to be able to talk to us about this Sprint T-Mobile merger and what it might mean for consumers or your thoughts on whether it did not meet for consumers, depending on how people want to view it. Let's quickly go through the blog and tell you what's recently been posted. Forbes has a great article on cybersecurity. I saw it on Twitter and this covers cybersecurity in a different light. Scott Schober retweeted it shortly after it posted. 2019 breach trends based on open source data. I also saw this on Twitter and thought it would be worth sharing. It has been recently been published and it should give you some insights into the landscape. The biggest information that may hit the blind community, although we don't have any information to say that anything is changing as of yet, comes from a retweet that I found on Twitter. Blind Bargains was notified by me who they ended up saying they got it and a posting was going up soon. Both of us linked to this press release and I find it quite interesting. I think my feeling on this is that things may not change and it may be for the better. I'm talking about a merger of sorts. Blue Diego Investment Group announces acquisition of Ira Tech Corp. Now both Blind Bargains and I have linked to this ira.io posting and we're just going to have to see what happens in other mergers either they've worked out or they haven't we know in the screen reader world basically freedom scientific as part of vfo is it uh, there are the others like nvda and others outside the United States but within the United States it is JAWS and NVDA that said I really liked my window eyes and I liked the fact that we all had a choice on what we wanted to do and each reader had always done things differently a class action lawsuit has been filed against two Puerto Rico hospitals it turns out that they are not doing cybersecurity well, if at all. 
their information was all locked up in ransomware, meaning somebody clicked. Are they doing training? Are they even doing basic stuff? We don't honestly know. I highly doubt it. Are you an Estee Lauder customer? I recently saw an article talking about Estee Lauder being breached. It turns out that something was left wide open and public to the internet. All internal emails. No external customer information or email uh, communications to the outside seems to be the way that this is going. Over 440 million internal emails were accidentally put out to the public over the internet. They fixed this issue the same day and they should be praised on making sure that they fix whatever was going on. I am happy to report even though it was wrong and it was something that should not have happened, Estee Lauder did the right thing, responding quickly, putting out information, and saying that this was only internal and telling people what exactly is going on. Great job, Estee Lauder. Thank you for being upfront during this difficult time. Are you using YouTube TV? Starting March 13, 2020, your subscription will be canceled through iOS. And you will have to go to YouTube TV directly to be able to subscribe to YouTube TV. Depending on your billing cycle, you may be billed one more time and then your subscription will be canceled. The article is very brief and I saw this through YouTube uh, on the uh, Twitter. Is your opinion of a company called Liberty Reserve a good one or a bad one? Apparently they have done things absolutely wrong. I'm not too familiar with this company, but apparently they've done some bad things and the main person behind the company was arrested. Federal officials charged that Liberty Reserve had done some very questionable things including fraud, computer hacking, child pornography, and narcotics trafficking. The first major security of 2020 is named Curveball. There is an in-depth analysis of this threat and it affects SSL in a way that I think would be very bad. If you're interested in the in-depth coverage, look for the article penned by Trend Micro. Valentine's week for security news was not to disappoint. Each week, John Clay at Trend Micro goes ahead and talks about the week's security news and he gets the news around the web. Some of it may be of interest, some of it we see, some of it we don't. It was quite interesting this week and I sent it to Michael in Indiana. There's definitely a lot of interesting news in regards to the security landscape ending Valentine's week. And I'm interested to hear what you have to say from this article list from this blog post by John. 
if you are blind or disabled, you might be interested to note that Bard Mobile version 1.3 was released. If you're on the Bard support email list, you would have gotten an email with the same information in regards to what Bard Mobile has to offer. I went ahead and posted this for those who do not get those emails like I do. And the list of changes is quite interesting. Braille 2000 got an update on the 13th of February fixing some percent code anomalies and making the availability of repeat characters. So if multiple characters repeat, it'll tell you this as well as giving you information on opening and closing box lines if it's automatically done during your transcription work. I would really like to talk more about Braille 2000 and how I'm using it for assignment 18, but we don't necessarily have the time at this point for audio. No added bit spaces in regards to SIM Braille material, i.e. Braille that has been put into an RTF file to be able to be imported. There was a bug that stripped out spacing and caused a whole lot of problems. We now have the Talking Edition voicing boxing lines as discussed and voicing of repeated cells and symbols and sequences and spacing. If you have questions, please contact the Braille 2000 team, either myself or Bob. Contact information is at jaredreimer.info. That's J-A-R-E-D-R-I-M-E-R dot I-N-F-O. I penned an article in regards to how I did the assignments using Braille 2000 and no speaking edition. And also in regards to Braille 2000, I also penned an article talking about percent codes and how I had used them and give an example of how this type of work can be done. While this particular work was done more leisurely, I will be writing more articles in regards to Braille 2000 and its use. My next schedule article may be talking about poetry, as I've never transcribed poetry before. I have some news from the government that might be of interest. I titled the post Governmental News as I was several days behind. And if you found anything else of value, I would love to hear from you. Please feel free to get in touch with me so that I can hear what's on your mind. Coming up next, fishing and your insights of social media scams. The webinar is 33 minutes and it was conducted by Fish Labs with Elliot Valkman and several others. It was very fascinating to hear what types of insights were going on and it is quite interesting to hear that several of us are pretty much saying the same thing. And I can glean this just by what I'm hearing. I would like to thank Fish Labs for hosting this webinar. And I think you all will enjoy it. Please comment on it. It's coming up next. Hello, everyone, and thank you for your patience. Uh, we are ready to kick things off over here. Uh, so first of all, I just want to thank you for joining us. Today, we're going to discuss how threat actors abuse social media for financial scams, more specifically in the form of phishing attacks. Uh, we'll, of course, 
explain how exactly we uh, detail that as a phishing attack. So today I'm joined by Omri Benheim, our service delivery manager, uh, Miriam Irfan, our client threat manager and team lead, and then Abu, uh, who is a threat mitigation specialist. To, uh, together, the team will discuss why threat actors have turned to abusing social media for phishing attacks, some of the most effective techniques in play, and examples that uh, we have identified in our work with clients, and of course, how to handle these threats. Uh, after the presentation, we'll be hosting a brief Q&A session uh, and open questions from you all. So, of course, we encourage you to ask questions throughout the presentation. Just use the questions dialog box on the GoToWebinar uh, interface. It should uh, look like that little box that you see on your screen there. Uh, if you have any questions following the event, at the very end, I'm going to give you an email address so that you can uh, send that over to us, and then we'll make sure we get to the right person, too. Uh, so at any point during this presentation, feel free to ask questions. Uh, also, a big thank you to those of you who pre-submitted some questions, too. Uh, we'll be sure to get to that at the Q&A session. And uh, the question that everyone always asks, uh, yes, we will absolutely be sending you a copy of the slides and a recording of this presentation. Uh, usually, it should land in your inbox about 24 hours from now, so tomorrow. Uh, at the latest, you will get it on Monday. All right, so before we kind of get into things, uh, I just want to quickly highlight the three solutions that Fish Labs partners with organizations like yours on. Uh, at Fish Labs, we offer curated intelligence and mitigation for open web, social media, and advanced business email compromise. We sum this up by saying we don't just provide actionable intelligence, we provide intelligence that gets actioned. We do this in three ways. Uh, digital risk protection finds and takes down threats that pose risk to you, your customers, and your brands across a range of digital channels. Uh, that will be a subsect of what we're talking about today. Uh, email instant response detects, prevents, and responds to threats that bypass email security technology and reaches user inboxes. We do this with a combination of technology and experts and have the fastest response times on the market. And lastly, we have our security awareness training service that minimizes risky behaviors when users are interacting with email, mobile, social media, you get the point, and this drives them to report threats. All right, so before I hand this off to you, uh, I want to do a quick little uh, touch base to see where things are at. Um, then as uh, we kind of wrap this up, I'll just send you the results on the screen. Let me get this poll up and running. Launch. All right. So if you want to just take a couple of seconds here to give us a quick yes, no, unsure. Uh, if you are currently monitoring for social media threats, it just gives us a little bit of information about our audience. All right, I'm seeing some great results in here already. So I will close this here in just a couple of seconds. Cool. All right, so sharing that with you all. So it's uh, almost pretty it's close to split. Some folks aren't quite sure, some are, some are not. Uh, so we are hopeful that of those of you that are already doing this, that this will be informative to you, uh, especially some of the examples that we used throughout this presentation. Um, so with that, I'd like to hand this over to Omri, uh, who will kind of guide you through this experience. Thank you, Elliot. I just want to double check. Can you all, can you hear me okay there, Elliot? Absolutely. Beautiful. All right, well, good afternoon, everyone. I want to thank you all for joining us first. So right off the bat, let's start very simple and define the term phishing. In general, phishing refers to the idea that a scammer casts out a line to see who will bite, and then they reel that victim in to perpetrate a multitude of scams. When I say a multitude of scams, that is because there are many definitions and subsets of phishing. Of course, even Wikipedia has its own version, which may be fairly accurate, but it still misses a few key elements. As a company, FishLab has seen the scope of how phishing is changing since first being named, which is why it's time to properly address the fluidity of its nature. Phishing can be used for many different purposes. It's used to trick the user into taking action that benefits the attacker, entering credentials, opening an attachment, wiring funds, etc. And phishing is an evolving threat that continues to grow and present new challenges every year. So let's talk about financial scams on social media. So more specifically, a subset of phishing are financial scams, specifically on social media, which will be our main focus for this webinar. Now, there are all kinds of scams that occur on social media, some I'm sure you're aware of, and some you are probably not. In the news, some of the more common ones 
you hear about are typically have to do with a consumer buying a fake product online, potential lottery scams, direct messages from scammer offering various too-good-to-be-true deals. These are only a few small examples of scams we generally hear about. However, increasingly the more common and significantly more damaging ones lead to significant financial loss for their victims, their employees the, of the companies, and even related financial institutions. So today, we are going to be discussing just a few of these financial scams, provide you with some examples, as well as share techniques that threat actors use. So let's start by identifying why social media is the medium of choice for threat actors. And just for everyone's knowledge, when we say threat actors, we are talking about scammers, basically, just another term we like to use. So let's identify Let's start by identifying that social media in general contains the largest pool of potential victims for these scammers. With the click of a button, they have access to over 3.48 billion users on social media, which is a staggering number that is extremely enticing to scammers. When we take that huge pool and we combine it with the fact that social media is integrated into all of our daily lives, which it is, with approximately 2.5 hours a day, that the average person spends on social media, on top of the fact that users are online 24 hours a day due to time zone differences around the world, we have now created a paradise of never-ending potential victims for these threat actors. Now, of course, there are other factors that come into play when we look at this. So I want everyone on the call to just take five quick seconds to take a guess in your head as to how many social media accounts the average user has. Let's give a quick five seconds. So I'm not sure which number came into your head, but the average user has about seven social media accounts, which is also a very large number, thus increasing the avenues that these threat actors can get in contact with their victims. Now, with the anonymity of social media, there is only a small potential for consequences for these people. Scammer groups often aren't very careful about covering their tracks. They'll brag on social media under confraternity pseudonyms, which are groups claiming to be charitable or religious in nature to hide themselves to some degree, but they'll talk about their crimes. They'll trade tips on Facebook groups or purchase potentially flawed malware that ends up exposing their movements so that you can see from this information that there's very little concern on their side for being caught as they blatantly post and discuss these issues on the very platforms they utilize. Now, there are other factors that definitely make social media so enticing for these threat actors, but when we consider all of these concepts alone, it provides enough of a picture for us to understand their reasoning. Now, let's go through quickly just a couple of stats here to give you guys an idea of what we're talking about. We said we just talked about how 3.4 billion people are now using social media. That is an increase of 9% from the last year, and if we put it another way, it relates to 45% of the total world population using social networks. Again, staggering numbers here. Now, one of the reasons we're focusing on financial scams is that, um, and their subsets more so, comes from an interesting stat from Australia. The Australian Competition and Consumer Commission reported that in 2019, the largest financial losses were due to investment scams, and dating and romance scams worldwide. The most common technique, phishing, of course, because that's what we're focusing on, which was specifically tied to social networks as in their avenue of contacting their victims. So what are the straight facts about social media and how prevalent this issue is, as well as the type of users we have on there? So with 53% of social media logins being fraudulent, this means that we are often not even dealing with a real person when we engage with these scammers. Now, while bots are frequently employed to take on the grunt work of scamming others, human-driven attacks are far more effective. An example of these fraudulent logins is that 70 million fake accounts were purged from Facebook in 2018. That is 20% of their monthly active users just to give you a sense of how many bots and fake accounts are out there. And that is only one platform we're talking about. As we can see, their impact is huge. At approximately $1 billion has been lost to romance scams for Americans and Canadians 
since 2015, and that number obviously continues to grow. So now that we've gone through some of the statistics and the why this happened, let's talk about the how. So we want to identify what some of these scams are. Now, one of them we just talked a little bit about with these romance scams. We're going to focus in on what is called a sugar baby, sugar daddy scam, and I'll explain to you more what those are. One of the methods that they employ in these romance scams, as well as these sugar baby, sugar daddy scams, is called catfishing, which I'm sure some of you, if not all of you, have heard of. This is the idea that when fraudsters create a fake profile to make contact with an individual and lure them into some kind of online relationship, they will take the time to build trust, and then eventually they will ask the consumer to send them money or to share personal details with them, which they could then use sell those on black markets or potentially use those to hack that person. The goals of these scams include deposit fraud, money laundering, money mules, and the list goes on. The targets that these people usually go after tend to be people down on their luck or seeking love. The platforms they utilize usually are the more trusted larger platforms and dating sites, of course. And the impact to persons and organizations include, but are not limited to, brand reputation issues, financial loss, and executives being targeted. Now, in the next few slides, we will follow one of our threat mitigation specialists, who is also on this call, Abu Qureshi, as he plays the potential victim in order to try and gain as much information from this scammer that we'll see as possible. So in this conversation that Abu has initiated with this scammer, the scammer starts by reinforcing the notion of honesty and claims to have been taken advantage of in the past. This makes them seem more human and relatable to the person they're talking to and potentially invoke some kind of sympathy. Then what the scammer will do is repeatedly ask for personal details. Victims tend to be far more likely to follow through with a scam if they've already complied with smaller demands, such as information, pictures, etc. They also start the process of coaching that victim through the practice of completing their side of the scam, asking for reassurance, and if they will keep their side of the bargain, as well as continually providing instructions to push the victim to act. They often utilize Bitcoin and gift cards since it is an extremely difficult form of currency to trace. That's why you usually see them asking about buying iTunes gift cards or transferring some kind of Bitcoin to their wallet tends to be the avenue of choice for scammers. They then begin to provide vague threats about what happens to dishonest sugar babies, as they call them, and then they continue to explain how their relationship will work, thus reinforcing that previous coaching that we talked about. The scammer tries to play on their fear, claiming that previous sugar babies they dealt with have gotten in trouble with the law and gone to jail for not completing the tasks requested. And they consistently repeat this in order to garner fear from their victim. Now, the scammer tries to use the relationship they're building with their victim to recruit additional sugar babies or victims in this case. As you can see here by the third line, do you have any smart friends that need a sugar mama? And this is a common question, no matter which way it's going, they will continually try to recruit new people. Now, our analyst, of course, didn't want to include anyone else in this and said that he did not want to share with anyone in this conversation. So in the end, our victim, Abu, sent the scammer a spoofed link to identify their source IP address. Now, one of these scammers clicked the link. Now, once they clicked the link, we learned that our sugar mama was not in Canada or the United States, as they claim, but from Lagos, Nigeria. We also discovered their phone model, Infinix. Infinix is a phone brand not sold in North America, thus bolstering our evidence that this person is not located in the United States and Canada. Now, in this case, by going through this process, we observed a very typical sugar daddy mommy scam in action. The scammer tries to convince victims to purchase bitcoins with uncleared or fraudulent funds and would promptly disappear once the transaction had taken place. By collecting this type of information, we are now able to learn and advance our techniques for spotting and mitigating these types of issues. This is really only one subset of financial scams that we see on a daily basis. 
So let's go through a few more definitions of some of the other scams we generally come across. Now, I kind of already covered this, but just to reiterate, we're talking about this deposit fraud, sugar baby, sugar daddy scams here. Again, they use this to manipulate individuals into depositing checks or transferring funds or divulging personal banking credentials in exchange for a potential relationship or even an allowance, which I'll explain. Money flipping and giveaway scams. So in these scams, a fraudster poses as a legitimate business, usually on Facebook, pretty common, asking users to like and share posts or click on links to win supposed prizes that tend to be non-existent. Like farming, as it's called, by liking or sharing posts, allow scammers to build followers who they can then target with spams or scams. As well, we know that clicking links could download malware to your phone or your laptop, to your work computer or your personal computer, and obviously cause havoc. So this should be avoided as much as possible. Next, let's go over card cracking. Now, how is this type of fraud facilitated? This is an interesting one. This fraudster, the fraudster and the so-called victim work together on this. The fraudster deposits worthless checks from the supposed victim using mobile deposit and then immediately withdraws the funds at an ATM. Or they get the victim's card information and then make the same type of withdrawal. The customer or victim in this case then calls to report this so-called stolen money or compromised credentials. The bank will then reimburse the customer for funds lost and the criminal provides the customer with a cut of the money withdrawn. And I mentioned kind of what is an allowance. This would be an example of a sugar baby, fatty mommy giving you an allowance by, by participating in this card cracking scam. This is working together to commit fraud at its finest where a scammer will recruit a potential customer and victim to assist them in this scam. Now, tech support scams, I'm sure you've heard of these before. This refers to any class of telephone digital fraud, activities in which a scammer claims to offer legitimate technical support. This is often via cold calls to unsuspecting users, but it can also be committed through malware distribution, which locks your computer and then sends a message saying that you need to contact tech support to fix the issue, provides you with a phone number to call. Such calls and malware are mostly targeted at Windows Microsoft users, with the caller often claiming to represent a Microsoft technical support department. This exact thing actually did happen to a, fa a father's friend, I'm sorry, a friend of mine's father twice using very similar techniques. Employment scams. I'm sure you've heard or come across these to some degree. Now, there's Employment scams are generally very simplistic. They put out a job posting under a fake or impersonated organization. They then ask for information such as your social security numbers, personal information like your age, your address, etc., and sometimes even request processing fees in order to collect money as quickly as possible. Once this information is provided or the processing fee has been collected, these job postings quickly disappear or they stop um, answering contact from the person who provided to them, and there really is almost no recourse that this person can do to get that information back or protect themselves once it has been leaked. Now, last but certainly not least, we are going to talk about impersonations and account takeover. This is a big one and something that is becoming more prevalent as the years go on. Now, in, in this case, a, hack, a, a fraudster will hack into somebody's social media account. They then send messages to their friends claiming to be in desperate need of help and asking them to send them money. For example, in the stranded traveler scam, a friend or supposed friend on holiday has had their wallet stolen and needs money to get home. So they, con they hack those accounts, they contact people on their friends list requesting money because they're in an emergency situation. The examples that you're looking at and that we see are actually direct impersonations which can and do impersonate and include corporate executives, military members, government officials, and celebrities. A quick example of this is that in 2018, a Facebook notification on Gary Bernhardt's phone woke him up in the middle of the night in November with incredible news. He got a message from Mark Zuckerberg himself saying that he had won $750,000 in Facebook lottery. He stated that he got so excited, as anyone would, 
He's a 67-year-old retired forklift driver, an Army veteran in Ham Lake, Minnesota. He stayed up till dawn trading messages with this person on the other end to obtain his winnings. He was told he first needed to send $200 in iTunes gift cards, a common way that they collect their money. Hours later, Mr. Burhart bought the gift cards at a gas station and sent the redemption codes to the account that said it was Mr. Zuckerberg. But the request for money never stopped. By January, Mr. Burhart had wired an additional $1,300 in cash, or about a third of his Social Security checks over three months. Now, you may be asking yourself, how could somebody fall for such what may be considered such an obvious scam? Well, the truth is to a lot of people, and especially people who are not, who do not grow up in a technical savvy world or who have not taken the time to learn about these scams, it is very easy for them to fall victim to it. And I would even guess that everybody on the call knows at least one person that has fallen victim to one of these financial scams or potentially more. So now that we've talked about the, the types of financial scams we see and how we perpetrate these scams, how do we find them? How, how does Fish Labs find them? And where do they live? Well, what we're showing you here is that on our side, we search over 6,300 social media sources when we're pulling in our data. Those are raw brand references that we pull back. And then once they're pulled into our system, we begin to parse them out, taking out false positives, whitelisted um, pages and things like that. Then they go into a third machine filtering process where they are put in their appropriate buckets and client lists. And we then have a human person go through all of that data to further remove the false positives and give the most accurate and up-to-date results as possible. The difference between false positives and actual issues being posted, there is a huge difference between them. So the amount of data that an average corporation would see that actually doesn't have anything to do with them, but that they would collect based off of keywords is humongous. And the amount that we now whittle it down to in the analyst validator results shows that it is an extensive process with a lot of nuance to it. Now, why does any of this matter? Well, there's lots of reasons, but all of this matters um, for several reasons that I want to go over. Now, in most cases, these threats abuse a trusted brand these are often banks and other financial institutions, but we also see these financial scams target retail brands, service industry, as well as many other outside um, <clears throat> organizations. This, so some of the things that they're looking for are your name, brand, executives, employees, and customers who may all be targeted. Now, amongst our examples, we also highlighted how impersonation continues to be an extension of a trusted brand and can also impact organizations' reputations and when they are impersonated. Now, lastly, but most importantly, these financial scams all clearly have a financial impact on the related institution as well as their customers. Each of these cases result in a direct loss of dollars, work, spent, uh, work time spent remediating it, as well as other financial impacts that sometimes are not visible right off the bat. Now, I want to thank you all very much for taking your time to listen to our presentation. I do hope that you found this information informative, and I will now pass it back to Elliot. All right. Thank you so much for that, Omri. Uh, we will get over to the Q&A session, but uh, unfortunately, you know, if marketing is coming on, someone has to give you a little bit of a sales pitch. I'll try to keep this nice, short, and sweet, though, for you. Um, so, Omri, if you can go over to that, uh, I think it's two more slides forward. There you go. Perfect. Thank you so much. Um, so one of the last things that we want to talk to you about is uh, how some organizations are already tackling um, handling these different threats. So for the most part, uh, there's kind of the uh, generic approach, which really you can bring this in-house or you can work with uh, other vendors as well. Um, but what you see here is a pretty quick overview of how the process flow works. Um, and I think I'm actually really did a good job of explaining how we do it, so I'll kind of skip a little bit ahead. But uh, for most organizations, um, the first approach that they'll typically do is use some sort of tool or a platform that allows them to bring in all this data from these different sources. So for the most part, that'll just consist of those major social media sites that probably you and I use on a regular basis. Uh, it doesn't typically include things like paste bins, uh, blog sites, and you know a few thousand other different platforms. Uh, where we would actually be defining them as social media. 
So they're a little bit limited, but even in just like the between five and 10 different platforms that uh, are most commonly used, um, there's just a whole lot of white noise and false positives that are going to be creating from those tools and platforms. And on top of that, uh, typically most of these tools and platforms were really designed for marketing purposes. And having worked in this space as a marketing person for as long as I have, and tell you there's more junk in there than uh, you'll find to be vital. So unfortunately, there's just a lot of uh, junk that comes along with that. So uh, as Omri had mentioned, obviously we use uh, automation and also technology as well as experts to kind of go through all those threats uh, and the white noise to only really bring up that actionable intelligence. And then uh, lastly, uh, another area where we kind of come into play is where the actual actioning of that information comes into it. Uh, so for each of these different platforms, they all have different policies, rules, uh, and that really puts a little bit of a challenge for how you can mitigate or remove some of these. Uh, obviously, if it's illegal, that's pretty easy, but each of them have their own processes. You have to typically fill out some sort of manual form, and then some of them will tell you, some of them won't tell you if there's any action on them. Uh, having been working with this space for more than 10 years now, um, it's actually allowed us to build the relationships where we have fast lanes, skill switches, and really can expedite that so it's not just a manual process that kind of comes along with a typical platform or monitoring tool. So that is sales pitch. That being said, we would absolutely love to uh, see if you have any questions that uh, Omri and our team on the call would answer for you. Um, so with that, uh, let me just jump over to our first pre-submitted questions, if we're good with that. Uh, Omri, if you can go to the very last slide so we can also throw up our email address on there. So if anyone has questions, pick one more after that. There we go. Cool. So if, uh, after this Q&A, you have any private questions or that we don't have time to get to, feel free to send it to info at fishlabs.com. But with that, Omri, let's get over to the Q&A session. So if any of you all want to jump in, uh, this is perfect time to do that. Uh, so let's start with the first question. Are there any social platforms in particular that get targeted more than others? And if so, why? Hi, uh, this is Miriam. Um, so I will be answering that question. Um, so the answer really depends on the type of scam we're looking at and what client is being targeted. We've seen card cracking campaigns for some clients predominantly on Facebook, whereas for others we've seen um, heavy advertisements on Twitter. Um, technical, we'll see technical supports on, for some clients on YouTube and for others on Google Bloggers. So it's difficult to say if any single platform gets targeted more than others um, overall. But that being said, scammers generally gravitate towards platforms which provide the most viewers with the least amount of pushback. Um, so there are platforms which are known for having more lax rules like Telegram, um, which creates a perfect environment for questionable activity. But at the same time, the main five North American social media platforms um, do also host a number of scams. And that's mainly because um, the sheer volume of these scams, as well as their dynamic nature, make it especially difficult for platforms to create policies which address the individual scams in their entirety, as well as um, it's difficult for these platforms to devote the necessary manpower to really um, target them as well. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, our next question is, how difficult is it to have related content or accounts taken down? Or in another sense, how difficult is it to get information mitigated? I can take this one. Uh, this is Abu. Um, <clears throat> that's a, it's a very good question because um, it, it, uh, it depends on a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, it's a scenario. Uh, depending on the scenario, um, uh, the, the, the degree of difficulty definitely varies. Um, and Elliot, you sort of touched on it um, that, you know, because of our experience um, in doing this, we've sort of, uh, we have to, we sort of leverage our relationships in the industry. Um, so that goes from um, with the providers themselves, um, with law enforcement, and um, various other sorts of um, relationships that sort of aid us in terms of takedown. Um, aside from that, it very much so depends on the content, of course, um, and over time we've sort of learned exactly what to look for, um, depending on the network, um, because every, net every social network, of course, has its own guidelines, um, which are platform specific, their own policies, um, and those are always evolving. So um, with time, um, those uh, those guidelines are sort of evolving to aid us. But um, until then, it's definitely an um, an uphill battle. 
and we're able to uh, we're we're able to leverage some of our relationships there to uh, to get um, those accounts down. All right, thank you for that, Abu. Uh, is there a scenario where marketing teams are involved in the process if they own or sort of manage the social media for brand? Uh, this is Marianne again. Um, so here at FishLash, we definitely look at the internal teams of our clients as partners when it comes to detection and mitigation. Marketing teams in particular are really able to educate their customers the best as to what threats are out there. Um, and what that's done, not only does that decrease the target population for scammers, but it also indicates to scammers that, you know, company X is not a soft target, that they are um, going to push back. Additionally, it isn't unique for scammers to engage directly with company pages. So we've seen giveaway scams, um, commenting on official tweets. Um, we've seen card cracking um, posts on official company pages as well. Um, so for these reasons, it's really important for marketing teams to remain vigilant internally and really um, communicate the attacks that they're seeing. I would also add to that just that um, in terms of customer base, when we're dealing with the various types of organizations, sometimes it is the marketing team that gets in contact with us and controls the contract. We also see, obviously, the security teams do that as well. Uh, the teams tend to want different types of information, as you can imagine. Security teams are obviously more focused on the phishing and security aspect, whereas the marketing teams tend to be focused on some other things, such as customer experience, as well as brand reputation, threats, um, and executives, and things of that nature. So uh, we, we do see different departments employ this service, and I think it provides um, various types of benefits depending on the area you come from, whether that's marketing or security. All right. It looks like we have one last question. Um, I will say if anyone has any others, feel free to ask them in the questions dialog box. Uh, otherwise, we'll be wrapping up after this one. Um, but how important is it to incorporate a more robust monitoring solution outside of social media? Um, this is uh, Abu again. <clears throat> so uh, that's actually extremely important. Um, because as you've seen in our examples, um, uh, the scam usually extends past just the post or the profile itself. Um, there's always, <clears throat> excuse me, there's always um, um, a secondary source or um, a link, a URL, because the financial transaction taking place um, or the credential theft being done is usually done outside of the post or the profile. Um, that's why it's important for to ingest further sources of, uh, of data, like domain names or mobile apps, um, because generally you will find um, a link there. Um, so more often than not, the scam does not end at the post. There's, there's always um, more data sources uh, for us to find, and the more, that, the more that you can find, the more that you can mitigate, and the attack surface obviously gets a lot smaller. Um, so yeah, a robust monitoring solution uh, with not just social media alone, is, is a huge part for the safety of the organization, uh, their employees, and their customers. And to, and to just add on to that a little bit, um, you know, when we talk about the different types of uh, detection and mitigation services out, that are out there and what Fish Labs has, these really are what we call complementary services. As in, having one of them is great, but having more of them actually provides you with not just more extensive coverage, but as Abu just pointed out, there are connecting factors between the different types of services. So domains, social, open web, CredFest, these all play with each other. Abu just identified, for an example, a social media post that has a, do a phishing domain on it that leads to another open web domain that is impersonating a brand, for example. So it's those clicks within the clicks and the detection on multiple vectors that really provides you with a complete coverage um, of all of these types of scams. And Abu pointed out very well that these scams don't just live on one type of, of platform, such as social media. They live on various types. So we need to mitigate and detect on all those various avenues. All right. So thank you so much for that. It looks like that was the last of our questions. Uh, if you, again, do have any questions about social media and digital risk protection, or financial scams, uh, I'm happy to direct that over to the right people. So feel free to email us at info at fishlabs.com. Uh, otherwise, you will uh, get an email from me tomorrow with the recording and a copy of the slide deck as well. So with that being said, I hope you enjoy the rest of your afternoon or wherever uh, time zone you're in. Uh, and thank you so much for joining us. All right, you all have a good one. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. In future podcasts, 
we're going to talk about assignment 18 which is still in process and you will find that there will be an article posted giving examples of how I am building this assignment and learning about poetry and outline transcription something that I have never done before in my years of transcription I mainly did paragraph work for the most part and so a lot of this is new to me but a lot of it makes sense to me I'm actually in the process of working to get a braille out of the assignment to date which is currently 10 pages at the time of this recording I'm sure that the assignment is a lot more and I still have more work to do so I'll talk about that on a future podcast also I'm continuing to find and post more articles so please feel free to check out the blog at technology.jaredreimer.net I would like to thank Sean Everest for assisting me with blog maintenance and he also has been posting some stuff so that people are aware of what's happening I still need to go in and make changes to these pages and make them uh, HTML compatible so that everybody can get a good read out of them and that's on my radar to do as well in the meantime you can always email and iMessage me at tech that's t-e-c-h at m-e-n-v-i dot o-r-g text or whatsapp 804-442-6975 and of course you can find me on social media learn more about my social media options at j-a-r-e-d-r-i-m-e-r dot n-e-t I'm sure we'll find more things to cover on the technology blog and podcast so it's not all going to be about braille trust me there are probably plenty of things to do too until next podcast everybody I am Jared Reimer saying thanks so much for listening and before I go we still have one more webinar to go and that'll be coming soon too thanks for listening and make it a great day.